Good Tidings, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Good Tidings radio broadcast here on WXAN Radio. I am your radio pastor and Bible teacher today, Dr. David Pinkerton, and here we are in a brand new month, the 3rd of February, the love month as I like to call it. What a blessed, blessed month it is. We're reminded that Valentine's Day is this month, and yesterday we had the (laughs) Punxsutawney Phil coming on the scene again to tell us about our weather, and we're moving right through wintertime. And I got to say, I'm glad to see that. I'm not crazy about winter, but it is one of God's seasons, and I'm thankful that we do have the season. It's needed for our earth to be replenished. It's needed for us to be replenished. And God always knows what he's doing, doesn't he? You know, when we open the Bible, you've heard me say this a lot. When we open the Bible, we're opening the mind of God. And as night follows day and day follows night, God still lives and the Bible is right. Second Timothy tells us that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now, we're thankful for WXAN Radio, and I know you are too, the best music this side of heaven. We're grateful for Brother Danny, Leanne, Will, and the team, and a small part that we get to participate in in this ministry. And I pray for WXAN, and I pray that you do too. Support it prayerfully. Support it faithfully. Support it financially. Advertise on WXAN Radio. WXAN has a very large reach, nationally, regionally, internationally. But we're glad to be on WXAN Radio. I'm glad you're listening today. Every Saturday, tell your friend, every Saturday at 11 a.m. Central Standard Time is the Good Tidings Radio broadcast. And I am Dr. David Pinkerton, your radio host. I'm glad you're tuned in today. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter number 10. Luke chapter number 10. I want to speak today on the theme of love since we're considering Valentine's Day coming up on us on the 14th of of this month. Valentine's Day is always a fun day. It's fun to be able to uh, celebrate our love for Christ, our love for our spouse, for our family members, our friends, our church family. And I pray that you're growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ this year. This year's going by rapidly. Uh, We know that Jesus is coming again. And I hope that you're found in church every time the doors are open, that you have a church family, and you're in there growing in in the grace of Christ with them. And you're ministering, you're serving, you're using your gifts to minister to people for Jesus Christ. And that you're handing out a gospel tract every day. You're telling someone how to be saved. You're inviting them to church. You're praying, and your prayer list is growing for believers, but for unbelievers as well. So let's go into Luke chapter number 10, and I want us to consider today a message entitled, Two Loves. Two Loves. And before we get into the text, in Luke chapter 10, we're going to be reading from verse 25 to verse number 37. I want to make a few comments about this passage of Scripture. Our world definitely needs love today. It needs the agape love of God. It also needs the love of believers. And we know that in Romans 5, 5, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. 
which we was given to us when we trusted Christ as Savior and the Holy Spirit come in and took up residence in our abode. But think about this, the Ten Commandments. That's a very controversial topic, and it has been for the last 25 years, probably the last 50 years, actually, since the Ten Commandments were taken out of the schools. But the Ten Commandments are the basic foundation of law that God has given us to undergird a civilized society. It's the basic foundation of law and morality. And we need biblical morality in 2024. You know, you can boil, really boil down all the Ten Commandments to just two of them. In Matthew chapter 22 and verse 34 through 40, Jesus is asked a question. He said, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus answered and said, love God love your neighbor, and then he states that all the law hangs on those two commandments. The Ten Commandments boil down to just these two. It means that our love for God and our neighbor is the foundation for all morality. Let me repeat that, folks. Our love for Jesus and our love for our neighbor is the foundation for all morality. Let me give an example. A man who loves Jesus with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength will never take God's name in vain. He or she will never place anything above God in their affections. They'll remember that it's the Lord's Day, and we want to keep it holy on Sunday. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you won't lie to them. You won't steal their possessions. You won't cheat them in business. You won't violate their marriage. When you love your neighbor as yourself, you'll never do anything to intentionally hurt them. If you love others as we should, we won't take their life, and that includes those infants in the womb of their mother in abortion, because they're alive and well-known by God. These elements, folks, are increasingly rare in American society today and American culture, unfortunately. We tend to live with an attitude of extreme privacy in these days, living like we're on a remote island, though only separated from others by a few yards. Our society increasingly acts as if men owe nothing to their neighbors. We think only of our own lives, ignoring the needs of others. Let me give you a real-life illustration of that. Let me give you the story of David Cash. A few years ago, Cash and a friend, Jeremy Strohmeyer, were in Las Vegas. Strohmeyer followed seven-year-old Sharice Iverson into a bathroom and began to physically assault her. Cash came upon the scene, made a half-hearted attempt to intervene, and then left the girl to her own fate. Not only did he fail to stop the assault, he also chose not to report it. On their way home that night, Strohmeyer told Cash he had raped and killed the little girl. Still, Cash kept quiet about it. Police finally caught up with Strohmeyer, and he pleaded guilty to all the charges. Cash is off the hook, however. Nevada has no law requiring people to report a crime. This story has appalled and outraged many Americans. But in an interview with the Los Angeles Times, Cash defended his non-involvement. Without a trace of remorse, he said, and I quote, 
I'm not going to get upset over someone else's life. I just worry about myself first. I don't think of it. I didn't know her. End of quote. Now this morning, I want us to consider what it means to love God and to love our neighbor because all moral responsibility hinges on those two affections. So look with me at Luke chapter number 10 as we begin reading in verse number 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he answered and said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among thieves, thieves who stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him for half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou? was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves. And in verse 37 of Luke 10, And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go, and do thou likewise. All moral responsibility hinges on these two affections, that we love God first, and then we love our neighbor as ourself. So consider this as we go down through these verses. Number one, I submit to you, love for God. God isn't just someone we worship and serve. He's someone we know. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Have you trusted him by faith to be your savior? We can have an intimate relationship with him. He has shared his life with us. Christ died vicariously on the cross. He who knew no sin, that's Jesus, became sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Christ was the propitiation for our sins. That means the atoning sacrifice. Jesus died to pay your sin debt. The baptistry did not. Nothing else did either. You owe a sin debt to God, and that sin must be forgiven. God never overlooks sin. Sin must be paid for. And God so loved us that He sent Jesus down. John 3.16 that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The word believe in John 3.16 means to trust in Jesus Christ and him alone as your personal Savior. You recognize you're a sinner, you cannot save yourself, and you put your faith 
or your trust in Christ to be your personal Savior. And Romans 10 says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you like to put your faith in Christ right now and be born again? Be saved? Let's do that. Follow me from a sincerity of your heart, recognizing you're a sinner, you have nothing to offer God, but that you believe the Bible, that Christ died for your sins in your place. He was buried in the tomb and resurrected. And you want to trust Him to be your Savior and call upon Him. Let's do that now. From the sincerity of your heart, follow me in this prayer. Jesus, please forgive me of all of my sins. Come into my heart and save me. I'm trusting you and you alone to be my personal Savior and take me to heaven. Amen. Now, if you've done that, I welcome hearing from you. Send me an email. My email address is drdave13 at gmail.com. drdave13 at gmail.com. And I have some free Christian literature that I will send you free of charge to help you with steps in a new direction to begin living the Christian life. I shared that with some of my co-workers this week that are new believers, and they need scriptural foundation to begin their growth in Jesus. And I gave them some of that literature that will help them from the scripture to grow as new believers. So our love for God, now that we have a relationship with him through personal faith in Christ, we recognize that he shared his life with us. And we love him as we love any other person, folks. Love Jesus Love him passionately. In Luke chapter 10 and verse number 27, and he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Thy heart speaks of emotion. There are times when you laugh out loud with God. There are times when you weep before him, and you know he understands your sorrow. There are times when you shout and rejoice with him. We need to be careful that our relationship with God doesn't become routine. Share your innermost feelings with the Lord. Love Him passionately. With all thy heart speaks of emotion. Speak to the Lord. You don't have to convince Him. Talk to Him. So, not only does it speak of emotion with all thy heart, but it also speaks of exclusiveness. I have set affections that belong exclusively to my wife. I'll not share them with another woman. Loving God with all your heart means that my first spiritual loyalty is to Him. So love Him passionately. Not only loving Jesus passionately, but love Him personally. The Scripture says in Luke 10 and verse 27, with all thy soul. Thy soul speaks of identity. Thy soul is what gives us personality. Our temperament, our likes, our dislikes, our fears, our anxieties, our expressions, of our soul. Thy soul speaks of identity. What about the word all? All thy soul also speaks of intimacy. We communicate on different levels. Now, I don't dare, uh, I don't bear as much of my soul or my personality with a stranger as I do with a friend. I am more intimate with my family than with anyone else. God wants us to love him with all our soul. On the deepest level of intimacy, holding nothing back when you're talking to Jesus. 
We don't have to be afraid to be ourselves when we are worshiping and communicating with God. Many times in churches, people are afraid to worship and be their self for fear of what someone else may say or think. When we come into the house of God, we should be worshiping him, Jesus, in spirit and in truth, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making melody in our hearts unto God through the preaching and the teaching of the word of God, through the fellowship with other people. We need not worry about what others are thinking. We don't have to put on a mask or assume a a false character when we come into God's presence, and we never should do that, Christian. God wants to change our lives. Romans 8, 29, he's conforming us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And we're to be growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But he can't do that until we are honest about what's on the inside of us. How can God remove a fear that we won't admit to? How can he deliver us from bitterness or lust or any kind of addiction if we deny that we have it? We got to be honest with ourselves and honest with God. I had to be, and you should be also. It's not until we come to God, just as we are, that we'll have an opportunity to leave differently than we came. That's why we just don't stand still at invitation time in church. No Christian should just stand still at invitation time in church after the preaching. And I pray your church gives an invitation after the word of God is presented. That says, hey, we should be moving forward in the church service at invitation. Every believer should go forward at the invitation to the altar to pray. Jesus said, my house shall be called the house of prayer. And American churches don't do that anymore. Why don't you move from your pew and go to the front and pray? Pray for your pastor. Pray for your family. Pray for your business. Pray for revival in yourself, revival in your church, revival in your country. Pray for lost souls on your prayer list to be saved. Then give them a gospel tract. Try to lead them to faith in Christ. Pray for yourself. We need to get back to using the altar in our churches to pray. That's what it's there for. It's more than just an ornate piece to be affiliated with poinsettias at Christmas time or Easter lilies at Easter time. We're to do business with God. Get back to using the altar in your church. Come clean with God. Be honest and pour your heart out to God in prayer at the church and say, Lord, help me. I need help. We should be open and honest with God. So we should love him exclusively, but we should also lo- our, we should love him expressively. He says in Luke chapter 10 and verse 27, with all thy strength. Love has to find a way to demonstrate itself. It makes you want to do something. The greatest example of this is God's own love in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. His love caused him to do something. Do you love Jesus enough that you will witness to someone? You will hand out a gospel tract. You will pray for them. You will go visit someone that's shut in. You will minister in some way and use your gifts in ministry for Jesus. Do you love him that much? I know God loves me because of Calvary. The cross tells me that. There, God made the supreme sacrifice of love, his very own life. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. He took our place. He became our sin bearer, our substitute. I asked God how much he loved me. Stretching his arms wide, he said this much, and then he died. Jesus loved us to death, folks, to the death of the cross. That's what Calvary's all about. 
It shows us how far that love in that God in love was willing to go to save a sinner and pay the sin debt for all humanity. And Christ died for the sins of the whole world. Everyone can be saved if you'll call upon Christ and trust him as Savior. Do that. Don't hesitate. Do that. Call upon Christ and be saved. And Jesus Christ deserves to be loved with all our strength. That's what's wrong in our churches. We don't love Christ as we used to. We need revival, a revival of loving Jesus first and foremost, his teachings, a confession of sin, a repentance, a turning from the sin, and asking us to draw nigh to God and God's word and be doers of the word and not hearers only. We need to love him also intelligently. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 27, with all thy mind. This statement helps us avoid extremes. It keeps us balanced. Emotion must be balanced with truth. Remember that. Experience should never take priority over the Word of God. I've heard people say, well, I've had this experience. And if it's not biblically related, it's an extra biblical revelation. You don't get that. I don't care what any preacher says. You don't get extra biblical revelation. That's what's. That's what one of the biggest problems is with um, the tongues movement. They say they get an extra biblical revelation. No, you don't. You can't support that in the scripture. If you didn't get what you believe from the Bible, your intentions may be good, but you're wrong. It must be built upon the scripture. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We must be governed by the facts of the word of God, not someone's experience. Devotion must be guided by scripture and truth from the scripture trumps all the feelings. Jesus reminded us and is reminding us that we are to love God the same way he loves us. We must not respond to God, or rather, we must not respond to God's wholehearted love in a half-hearted manner. We are to love him with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, and all our mind. And I think Jesus is also telling us that until you love God as you should, you will never be able to love others as you could. I think that is born in our own experience. For as our nation has become more secular, it has also become less sensitive. The Bible says in the last days, the love of many shall wax cold. And we know the rapture is about to take place. If you're saved, you'll go. But if you're not saved, you'll be left behind. The more we learn about the love of God, the greater our capacity to love others. So we think about this this morning. Two loves. The first love is our love for God. Do you love God first and foremost? Do you love God first and foremost? Is he your first love? It should be. He should be. I pray that he is. But let's consider secondly this morning, not only our love for God, but our love for others. Our love for others. Consider this principle. If I were to ask you how you are to love your neighbor, probably all of us could give the right answer. You're to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Great. But what does that mean? Let's keep it simple. Loving your neighbor means that you do for him or her what you would do for yourself. When you have a need, you attempt to meet it. When you have a hurt, you attempt to heal it. When you have a responsibility, you attempt to fulfill it. When you have a prayer request, you pray for it. You don't have to be taught how to, we don't have to be taught how to love ourselves, folks. It comes naturally. We're experts at it. Truly, we are. The trick is to keep our 
self-love from becoming selfishness. We need to be constantly reminded that as we love ourselves, we are to love others. So that's the principle. What about the parable that we've been reading in Luke 10? This Good Samaritan passage is one of the most familiar parables in the Bible. It doesn't need a lot of explanation. There are three attitudes represented in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. The first attitude is this, what's mine is mine, and I'll keep it if I can. The second attitude, what's thine is mine, and I'll take it if I can. The third attitude, what's mine is thine, and you can have it if you need it. You see, your neighbor is anyone who needs help. The parable begins with just a certain man. A lot of things we consider important are not mentioned. We are not given his name or his standing in society. And as far as we know, he could have been a thief who fell victim to other thieves. The only thing we know about him is that the hand life dealt him at that moment left him alone and in need. Let me ask a couple of questions. Do you find yourself judging the worth of a person before you decide whether you're going to help them or not? Do you only feel comfortable helping those who are just like you? Do you let the color of their skin, the length of their hair, or the style of their clothing determine to whom you are willing to love as yourself? Are you willing to help someone with tattoos or piercings? You see, loving your neighbor requires affection. The priest looked on the victim with total lack of concern. The Levite looked on the victim with curiosity. The Samaritan looked upon the victim with compassion. The difference in these three men is that one had his feelings touched, and he responded to those feelings. But what if people take advantage of our kindness? What if they don't appreciate what we really do? Folks, it doesn't matter. Read the parable again. There is no mention of the victim's response to the kindness of the Samaritan. Why? Because loving your neighbor isn't contingent upon the sense of their appreciation. We're to have a Nike kind of love. Just do it. As a Christian, loving your neighbor requires action. It's not enough to be concerned. It's not enough to feel compassion. You have to get involved. You have to get a little blood on your toga and dirt on your kneecaps. You have to invest some of your time and give of your treasures. You have to do whatever it takes to take care of your neighbor, just as you do whatever it takes to take care of yourself. Now, in the final thoughts, you can't love God until you first accept his love for you and trust Christ and be saved. The proof of God's love is in the payment Christ made for us. Do you love God with the same wholehearted love he has shown for you? He died for you. Are you living for him, Christian? Live for Jesus. Be like Jesus. Share Jesus with the world. Now, folks, with the time we got left, We're at the end of our time, unfortunately. The Good Tidings radio broadcast you've been listening to. I am your radio pastor and Bible teacher, Dr. David Pinkerton. And we pray today that you'll experience the two loves. Love for God, love Jesus first, and then love for your neighbor. That's what all of morality and the Ten Commandments hinge upon, those two loves. Love for Christ and love for your neighbor. That's where our morals are built upon, the Ten Commandments. God bless you. Thanks for listening today. You have a wonderful day. Keep looking up. Jesus is coming. God is answering prayer. And you celebrate today. Love Jesus Christ. Love someone else. And make a difference in someone else's life for the glory of God. God bless you. I bring you good tidings. 
So fear not, fear not, fine, yes sir.